Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. So David, it's January, where are we now? January the 10th or something? Is, is, is it too late to wish you Happy New Year? Yeah, is Happy it, New we, Year. Are we well, I haven't that? seen you. Well, I saw you at the barbecue. You did. The guys it's, wouldn't know that. David invited me for a nice barbecue a couple of days ago, which well, it's was been very a, nice. It's been a long time coming. I've been inviting you for about a year. I know. Well, we had COVID <laughs> and bushfires and everything else to, to keep us away from each other. But yeah, how was your Christmas, it was, mate? It was good. Um, a bit tough. First first year without my dad, yeah. to be honest. So yeah. a lot of first time first times, which was it's tough. I mean, Christmas is always a, a very sort of family orientated event for most people and particularly our family. So look, you know, it was nice, but um, not, not, not the usual, not the usual Christmas. Yeah. So lots of time with your family, yeah. your nephew. That's, yeah. Yeah. And they've just gone overseas for a month. So oh. it's been, it's been, it's been a bit mental, but it's nice. good, good to be back in here. It's been about what, three weeks, four weeks. Yeah, about three it, or four weeks. And have you done any work, any business consulting? A little bit here and there, but not everyone's still away. So yeah, it's kind of that funny limbo time. Enjoying where... a bit of time. So I, th- I think that we'll probably kick off again. I've got a few uh, sessions scheduled for next week. So I think sort of mid to late January when people start thinking about work again. So, but we're here again today. Injector Diaries, first one for 2023. Chapter 11. I can't believe it. It's been, it's, yeah, it's crazy. And we've got our very, very special guest, my friend, Amy Lynn, all the way from Philadelphia in USA. How are you, Amy? How was your Christmas? Oh, it was fabulous. Thank you both for having me on today or tonight, whatever time zone everyone (laughs) is in. Um, No, yeah, holidays were great, super relaxing, great time with the family, no complaints whatsoever. 2023 has started so great and so fabulous. So I think this year is going to be all of our years. What happens in Philadelphia in a family Christmas at Amy's house? At my house. Oh, wow. Well, you know, I do have five children, right? So (laughs) it's just absolutely mental. (laughs) Yeah. One could imagine what Christmas is like, but no, it's it's actually, we have this down to a science now. Um, luckily, my family all lives really close to me. So we try to keep the holidays completely like not stressful. Don't worry about the small things and just spend time with one another because we're all crazy, right? <laughs> Running around. So I really did take the pressure off of having Christmas be like a stressful situation, especially with having lots of kids, even when they were little. Um, you know, to just kind of enjoy them, enjoy time home with them and, uh, you know, take some time to recenter myself and reground myself for the new year. So uh, no complaints whatsoever. That's awesome. I shared your details Mm -hmm. with our Patreon group and I was like, has anyone got questions for Amy? And the main question from the girls was how the hell does she look so good after five kids and how the hell does she run a business with five kids? So we'll get onto Um, that, (laughs) but you're you're doing something right. That's very sweet. And thank you for that. I run around like a nut and, um, yeah, they keep me busy. So it's, it's all good, but it takes a, it takes a village for sure to make it all happen. It's not just me. hundred percent. So the injector diaries, just to remind everyone, if you're new to the podcast, the, I guess in these episodes, you came up with the concept. Why didn't you explain it? Oh, well, I, I guess, you know, we, 
traditionally with the podcast, we've been talking about specific topics or new procedures um, and talking about, I guess, novel things within the industry. But I guess it, it dawned on us that we've got such a big global community of injectors all around the world, whether they be nurse practitioners or registered nurses, plastic surgeons, general cosmetic physicians. And they've each got an interesting story to tell about their background, how they got into the industry, what they do really well, or if they've got unique new things that they offer in their practices. And so we thought, let's just let's take a trip around the world and talk to different people from, from different places and find out what makes them tick, why their business is successful and see if we can learn anything and, and share them with our community. Yeah, I think it's been one of the more popular types of episodes we've done because it's always the story yeah. that, that gets people interested and, and how did you do it and yeah. maybe even learning from people's mistakes as yeah. well. And I think people can relate because we've got injectors at different stages of the career, people that are just starting, everything's new, they're maybe a bit lost or overwhelmed yeah. and you've got super experienced people. And I think that having a good mix just gives people people you know someone to resonate with or sort of be inspired by or even just to feel hey i'm you know i'm not alone you know people it's, it's normal to feel like this it's normal to feel intimidated and scared or i'm a really advanced injector and just getting confirmation that, that what they're doing is right so, yeah and one of the great things about the podcast is the community and the networking yeah. so i got introduced to amy i think it was via our mutual friend gretchen um i who, believe so yeah yeah and she said oh my god my friend amy's in stockholm because i just put up on instagram <laughs> i was in stockholm and so i just came up to you and said oh hi Gretchen's told me to say hi and that's <laughs> yes. how we became friendly so how do you know Gretchen exactly yeah no her and I became friends just through the network and you know to your point what you said like that's what this community of aesthetic providers really truly are is this incredible network um I learned so much from all of my friends and colleagues and that's how us as an industry really where we're able to expand and grow and learn from one another and really provide so much quality care to our patients and just expand our awareness on so many different things. Like this, this, our industry is booming right now. And it's like so many people want to get into it. So I feel like us as providers, it's really like our responsibility to provide a platform of excellence in education. So we're able to mentor and help grow our industry and stand by all the wonderful things that we believe in. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and background? We know, we know you've got five kids. We know you're extremely busy. Um, but how did you get into the industry and what was your background in, in nursing before you went down the aesthetics pathway? Sure. So um, so when I graduated nursing school, I was ER trauma for about 11 years or so. And it worked really well. I love the ER. I love the fast pace. I love the chaos, like all the things, inner city, the whole nine, like going from like gunshot wounds and, you know, all these crazy situations and just, you know, uncontrolled chaos most of the time. Um, you know, people always ask, how did you go from that to this? And um, there isn't really one simple answer to this um, because I did love the ER. I wasn't running from something I didn't enjoy. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but what happened was for me personally, during a time, I had five little babies at the time. I was married. I'm no longer married. Um, but at the time, we hit some really rough patches, not only financially, but also as um, a couple. And there was all these things kind of going on behind the scenes. And as I think anyone listening who's a provider can relate to this. I was broke. We had nothing. But what did I get done? Botox, <laughs> right? Because I wanted to feel a little bit better. So I, I actually, the first person I went to get my Botox on was by a nurse. And I just enjoyed the whole experience of it. Not just the results. I just felt better. I liked the whole um, you know, outcome from it much more than even the aesthetic outcome from it. 
And I was questioning, this is about a little over eight years ago. How do I actually like do this? Cause I feel like I would, I'm really interested in this. I like the whole like interpersonal uh, relationship with the provider. I obviously like the results. I felt better. And at that point, we did not have the resources that we do now to even understand how to get into this industry. And so I thought I had to go back to school and there was no real like schooling. There's all these like certificate type, you know, programs out there. And which is the right one? And what does that even mean? And how does it even qualify me? Me, uh, you know, me being a nurse as well. What are all the legalities behind it that are going to make me practice safely and ethically and all these things? So we didn't have all that. So I had to just kind of figure it out, which is one of my like attributes, I think, that you just sometimes you just have to figure it out and, and do it. So um, I actually befriended somebody, uh, a doctor at the wellness center that to the gym that I was belonging to. And I was kind of always the Pied Piper of really pumping up all of my friends, you know, different businesses. And I've always been entrepreneur driven. And so I was like, what do you think about me, me doing this? So I went to my first course um, and I was only nurse in the room. And I was the first one to go up and inject and everyone was so freaked out and everyone <laughs> had like little like egos and errors. And I was just being Amy, you know, like normal, fun, like whatever. And I was the first one to inject. I had an audience full. It was the first time I was holding like, you know, needle to someone's face. I was used to like big needles and emergency situations. And now I have somebody's face, one of my good friends, gorgeous in front of me, and I'm supposed to not mess her up. Right. <laughs> Day one. So that all the level of responsibilities. So I did that. And then I really, um, the, the doctor that I was referring to, they did, they weren't set up at the time to have somebody in house. So I started to do more concierge type of, um, treatment. So I was basically hustling seven nights a week, networking, getting my name out there. People were just trusting me, which I'm still shocked on how many people would trust me when I was brand smacking new with really not a lot of training, but. I had to like figure it out and really be self-driven. And I dove myself into just getting better and improving my skills and doing everything I possibly could to um, refine this. And a couple months after into this, um, surprisingly enough, and very fortunately, I already had somewhat of a following and it was getting to the point. My babies were all like little at the time. They were like eight and under that I was spending more on Chick-fil-A. Do you guys have Chick-fil-A? <laughs> in, no, um, in I know Australia. about it though. Yeah. It's like a, like a fast food place. Or yeah. whatever. It's, it's big in the States, especially in our area and babysitting. And I never, ever, ever wanted something that I loved the experience with the patient and the relationships I was building money to ever come into it whatsoever, because that's what was actually fueling me to want to get better were the people that I, I was treating. So from there, I, I had a conversation. The business partner said that this is the best you'll ever get. And I'm really spunky. As nice as I am, I can be very spunky. And that's one thing you don't say to me. <laughs> right. So I, um, I took a position at a local medical spa. I grew their business significantly in, you know, less than six months. I think it was up 190%. I was operating that business just like it was my own. And at the time after that, I decided, you know what? I think I could do this on my own. So it was like two years to the date that I took that first course, I opened my own practice. And from there, it just kind of hit in the flow. I got involved with the Galderma network. And um, and here we are today, six and a half years later, not even. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of my story, the nitty gritty, very um, refined 
close version of okay. it. Okay. So that's um, fascinating, by the way. And it's always interesting to hear everyone's story because everyone's journey is so different and interesting. And quick as and well. Quick. Yeah. So, so that takes quick. us back to 2017, 2018 when you, is that right? Is my maths correct? Around about then? Six years ago? 2016. So what yep. was the industry like back then? So how many people were sort of providing these treatments? You said you were the only nurse in the room when you were training. So was that an anomaly? Were you like, one of the only nurses that were doing it back then. So we're just trying to get an idea about the, the sort I of, the, the, you know, the, yeah, the landscape of the industry at that point. So from what I understand, so we're going back. So my first training was in about 2014 and I didn't really know much about the industry whatsoever. That, only the experience that I had from getting the treatment. So I hadn't really done a lot of like homework on where the industry was. I just loved doing it. And I loved like, providing that experience for somebody very different than how I was doing it in the ER. Like people were choosing me whether that uh, compared to people who had to be there for emergency situations. So I took, I take, and I took that responsibility very, very, very seriously. And I owed it to them to provide what the best service I could ever do. So that was my like fueling force. So as far as like the industry, it definitely was not as popular back then as it is now. Mm. And that wasn't that long ago. Now, you know, nurse injectors, um, NPs, PAs, we're a big chunk, just like in Australia, of the entire US market as far as, you know, uh, medical aesthetic providers. So I think in the past eight years, it has boomed completely that more nurses and more um, nurse practitioners and PAs are, you know, involved in the business. Yeah, there'll be, we've got a lot of uh, new injectors who listen to the podcast and hopefully they take some inspiration from the fact that we all started somewhere and we all felt anxious and nervous and you're shaking and you don't know what the <laughs> hell you're doing. But I think the one thing that's resonated very clearly is that you've got the personality, Amy. So you're good with people, mm-hmm. you're good at talking, you make people feel comfortable. And we've spoken about it many mm-hmm. times about having the X factor as an injector. So it's not just about being technically good, but it's about being good with people and, you know, having that rapport so do you teach people about rapport and bedside manner all that kind of stuff in in your academy we'll come to your training thing but like do you think you can teach people that or or is it innate I I think it's I think it's a little of both I think it's innate I think that if you want to come off as being authentic I think it's just something that you are so there's a charisma that comes with it obviously um I think there's certain things that can be taught, but there's also certain things that cannot. Mm. And I mean, you can teach anyone how to technically inject, right? Here's a syringe, here's the face, here's the anatomy, and here's just the technical piecing it together. To understand and know the person, get to know the personality, get to know the whole interpersonal um, experience, I think that's the art to everything. Because it's no longer cookie cutter. It's not just a technical thing that you're doing to somebody. You're actually providing an experience for them. Yeah. And I think that's something that um that's that's what I thoroughly enjoy when I'm with my patients. And that's what like gives me the, you know, the drive to want to be better. It's because I owe that to them. Because yeah. they they're trusting in me for that. So I definitely go through when I mentor and I train, we do get into some bedside. Uh, mannerism. And I train a lot of people from all over the place. And I can usually tell right away who has it, like the X factor and who does not. Doesn't mean they won't be a great injector, but they might not have that whole X factor in one package. Yeah. Mm. Do you think it comes down to, I guess, your motivations or how true to yourself you're being about 
placing yourself in this industry. I think there's a lot of people yeah. that get drawn to this industry for the money, you know, the glamour, the glamorous side of it, and perhaps the passion isn't there. So do you think it's about, you know, genuinely loving what you do that, that sort of comes through in terms of the patients Absolutely. being able to feel that? A hundred percent. It's like, I think that they feel it, you know, when we inject, it's an energy exchange. Mm. We're touching the patients. We're mm. getting to know them. I spend a lot of time in my consultation in simply that, just understanding what their goals are, what they want to achieve, get to know them more personally. And then they start to open up, you know, and then you kind of can, you know, identify what the proper course of action is. It's not just, Hey, this is what you need to do. Adios. It's like, no, I'm here for you. Like you're like, let's do this and let's um, enjoy this journey together. Mm, yeah. So oh, yeah. I was just, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, um, we haven't planned this as a question, but since, you know, the way that you interact with your, your patients is something that's very unique to you and obviously being a big part of your success. What does your consultation process look like? Like how much time are you spending with a patient? Like what are the things that you're going through? Cause this is something that we've discussed on the podcast a lot is, you know, we're really focused on the clinical application of technique and new treatments and products. And that that's all great. Like we obviously need to be on top of that stuff. But the initial time you meet a patient, do you need to take us through that process and, and sort of what you think that, that works so well for you? Sure, absolutely. So I usually allot about 45 minutes for a consultation. And this is talking about a new patient coming in. And um, so I go through a full assessment, obviously health assessment, um, medical assessment, all the, all the history. I have an, a great support team with me. Um, all of the, anyone in the room with me, they're also nurses or nurse practitioners. And I used to, that's how I train them. It's like a paid residency more or less. So they learn all the nitty gritty, the charting, the behind the scene, how the flow of the office is, how to talk to patients, how to like engage with them and what things to kind of dissect back from that. So we go through a pretty rigorous process with that. And once they start to master certain skills, then they start to go on to actually seeing patients because I believe you have to understand that and how to, how to like go through a proper consultation in order to be a great provider. Mm. So they're with me for a long time, just hearing the vocabulary, hearing and seeing like how I'm engaging with the patients. Cause that piece can be very intimidating. You know, do you be, are you sterile? Are you able to hug a person? Like, how is this like whole thing going to, going to go? So then I, I go through the entire consultation. We talk about their goals. We, we kind of walk through it and the whole time I'm picking up cues as to like kind of things that they're trying to address. We cover everything, every single thing. Do I expect them to remember everything? Absolutely not. So this is why my amazing team are taking all the notes. They're writing all their things down and then they get a follow up. They get a follow up email with a whole aesthetic plan. Everything we talked about, non intimidating. I say this is just a general blueprint for of information education. Um, I then ask if it's okay if one of our um, clinical coordinators gives them a call in a couple of days just to answer any other questions. Not a sales call, but usually that does convert into another appointment if they haven't already, you know, scheduled their appointment. So we go through that, they come back for their follow-up and then we kind of dive in more and then we kind of plan it out from there. So that's like, that's more or less the flow of our um, consultation process. So to be clear for your new patients, 45 minutes, long structured history, et cetera, but you don't ever treat on the same day? I do. Okay. I will absolutely. Yeah. I will absolutely treat them on the, on the same day. Now, when I'm saying like, consultation we're talking skincare we're talking lasers we're talking wellness we're doing injectables and 
a lot of the times it is this, you know, transitional, like progressive type of, of process. So we wouldn't do everything in one day. So of course, yeah. yes, I absolutely will treat them on that treatment, which is even more reason to have them come back in two weeks. So I can take a look, make sure everything's good. And then typically they get their next treatment then. So all these pieces are coming together to the puzzle. So it's, it's continuing of care. It's, you know, patients want to be heard. They want to understand what's going on. And I think when they come in, if they're really intimidated, you're talking and they're absorbing about 5% of what you're saying. Yeah. And because I get into it, like I'm, I, I love to teach. I love to educate. So I'm talking to them as if they don't know what it is, but I'm getting involved with explaining how things work as well. So I think those pieces of follow-up are um, imperative. Kind of, I'm interested to know about the using uh, a, an assistant whilst you're the, the main injector, because it seems to be quite an American uh, model. It's great. It, it frees you up to do what you want to do. But how many people are in the room? What, what is everyone's role? Do you have someone doing your photos and any, any other jobs mm -hmm. for you? So I usually have one person in the room um, and she's a nurse right now. She's mm -hmm. my most recent, um, you know, mentee. We want to call her that. Yeah. Uh, she's a registered nurse. And I, basically I have her green and I'm molding her into being a, a set provider as well. So I tried it a lot of different ways. And I find that when I find someone who is, who, who meets the mold, who can chart like a nurse, who can chart medically, who understands the terminology, who also wants to provide these treatments, the quality is exceptional. Yeah. So she's getting trained all day long. So I've done this. I now have three nurses that work with me. They've all gone through this process. So for me, it's very much worth the investment of time and money in order to have somebody like that who's going to be quality and then expand their practice, you know, from within, mm -hmm. from there. Yeah. So usually it's one person um, in the room physically with me. And um, from a business perspective, how, how do you have that structured with them? So they're on a contract with you, are they an employee? And then what's your progression? Like how long are they with you? And then do they, is the, is the view that they're going to be with you for a long period of time? Because like, you know, there are, there are a lot of people looking to get into this industry. I can imagine someone would want to come in for training and then take off and become your competition. So how do you sort of combat that? I'm interested to understand how you've structured it and how you retain these people. It, it's a, that's a, Excellent question. And I think in the beginning, those are some of the things that I, I was more concerned about. Mm -hmm. I really do spend a lot of time cultivating a whole culture here um, of learning, expanding and learning. I, I believe in anytime I'm traveling and doing trainings, I'm only getting stronger as a provider. And I bring that all back in house. Um, I think if we live in the mindset of scarcity, mm -hmm. we'll never win. Mm -hmm. So there was a gazillion faces, you know, in the world, not gazillion, but you know what I mean? Faces <laughs> in, you know, the world. In our area too, there, it's tightly, tightly congested with many places that provide the same services. What they don't provide is what we give them. So if anybody were to, you know, we do have, you know, um, non-solicited, like non-compete kind of things in mm -hmm. play. Um, but quite honestly, I think we've fallen into uh, the whole mode that if someone's going to leave, that's probably the right thing for them and for me and for yeah. the practice. So I don't think, I think I've gotten more confident in the fact that um, people can, you know, I'm very, I'm all about learning from one another, but if you want to go try it, Good luck. Have a good time. But mm. I really have a very loyal squad um, who I, I do. I, I, I like to provide them with a lot of opportunities to expand 
their growth. It's almost like autonomy within a framework. Mm. Um, so that's how we do it. And as far as longevity, it really depends on the person. Um, I like to have them understand all aspects of the business in um, well before they go ahead and pick up a syringe and start injecting somebody's face. Yeah. I don't believe in the fact that you should just put somebody under the ring air like that in this case, mm. because it is so specialized. It is so special to all, everyone. And it's, it's a big responsibility. So I wouldn't want to one put one of my providers mm. in, you know, throw them into the, um, you know, the fire that mm. way. So green with no experience and no anatomy and no cadaver classes and all these different <laughs> things and not really understand it because I think it comes from the fact that I didn't have a strong mentor when I started off and there wasn't all these amazing resources that now we have available that I take this educational piece extremely seriously because I know so much more now. Mm. I didn't know all this before. Mm. So it's like I've become way more humble of an injector the more experience mm. I get and the more knowledge that I have. And that's what I try to also you know, bring to my team. Mm. That leads me on to my next question who are your mentors yeah. or who who who's who's inspired you or maybe who's local i know subio's local in philadelphia and you're good friends but anyone that you sort of look up to and think okay i can learn from him or her so many people oh my gosh i have i feel so blessed and so grateful to be in a network of people who I do look up to and we can use each other as resources. I mean, there's, there's so many to list. Yes. Uh, Subs is, uh, one of my, one of my homies. He's not far <laughs> from me. We've become really good friends. We actually open up our practices fairly close, um, around the same time and through, you know, the network and just getting to know each other, we become friends. Um, of course, you know, Julie Horn is also a very good friend of mine. Yeah. Love her the bits. We, we were really fortunate to do a training together uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm actually going to Sweden, back to Sweden end of this month to spend some time with her. You know, she's amazing. She's, you know, the real global rock star, you know, in nurses for, for all of us. And as a human being, she's, she's one of the most like real sweetest, amazing human. So, you know, I love what she's done. Of course, Roger Quilla, Sheen Obey, like they're all like very good friends of mine now, which I'm so glad that I can call them my friends. And, um, and also, you know, my, my nurses and my behind the syringe girls, like Britt and Shelby and Natalia. I mean, we're all like, I feel like we're all mentoring one another in a way, you know, and, and not in the uh, maybe studious way, but like we're all retaining so much information and bouncing all these ideas about like business and, and techniques and, oh my gosh, what are you doing with this? That we're really able to form this amazing network in this community to continue to grow. Yeah, it's a great example of doesn't matter how good you are, you can always learn from mm. peers and, and not necessarily famous people, but, you know, just talk with other injectors and get yourself in Absolutely. a community, a WhatsApp group, whatever mm. it may be, and you can grow. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's as you said, it's that, that sort of scarcity mentality, trying to move away from that and sort of coming at it from mm -hmm. a, a point of positivity and love and wanting to spread the word and it'll, it'll come back to you. So... Um, in terms of your patients, like who are the sort of typical patients that come in to see you? Um, do you have like a certain demographic that your practice appeals to? And, and sort of what kind of treatments are you doing? Like what's your sort of typical patient profile? Okay, so I get this question a lot. That's why I'm smiling. Um, <laughs> I don't have like one typical demographic. I see a very diverse amount of people. So it's not like I'm just seeing somebody in their 20s or 30s or 40s. It's It's pretty 
it's pretty vast as far as how many, you know, what, what type of people I see. I see the typical, you know, not typical, but like soccer mom, you know, stay at home mom to, um, you know, celebrities to, you know, my oldest patient, I believe is now 88. And I see as young as, you know, 20. So there's, there's a big span. So I don't have one typical, you know, age group or category. Um, you know, I see a whole different, which makes it so much fun mm. because they're so different with each and every person, everybody, and which that's human nature. Everybody is an individual. So I don't just cater to one type. Um, I love a lot. I, I basically in my practice, I only inject. So I'm not running the devices or doing any of that. My nurses are doing that and they're, you know, they've, they've refined those skills. I tell them on aesthetic plans, what they should do, maybe offer some suggestions. But as far as me, I inject all day, every day. That's yeah. my, that's my, that's my thing. Um, and I really believe in like a multimodality approach. So I like to combine all these other treatments that we offer so that we're able to give the best um, outcomes. I want to know, what is a soccer mom? What, 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 how you know, do you define a soccer mom. Oh, wait, no. it'd be, wait, do you call football soccer mom? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of a soccer mom too, but <laughs> my kids don't play soccer, unfortunately, anymore. Um, Somebody like who's be, like more or less, not, not, oh my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble in the States for saying this now. Oh, no, That's why I kidding. asked it. Um, you know, somebody who's, okay, let, let's, let's retract this. Like a stay-at-home mom who is like running and taking all these responsibilities of the household okay. who's doing that, who's maybe not in like the typical, what you would say, like workplace, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. which is, I mean, that's the hardest job in the world. So credit to everyone who does that. Cause it's absolutely not something I would be good at at this point in my life to do full time because it's, that's a lot. So I have a great, like I said, support system around me. To okay. help me with all my that. wife is a soccer mom then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. And there's soccer moms are great. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Kudos to the women who have to look after children every day. It's yeah, very, tough. very hard having done it this Christmas. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely. Running. It's just, it's, it's basically just transporting kids everywhere. Basically yeah. drop yeah. off, pick up, snack in the car, just do it. So all the dads who stay at home, yeah. all the single dads as well, not, yeah. not, not being sexist. <laughs> and, and dads. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I, I do see a, a pretty large male population as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think that that's huge. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that mm. um, in Australia, but I mean, men now, I mean, maybe when I started, there was maybe 10% male that I saw. I would say now I'm probably about like 30%. That's wow. Um, that's huge. That's big. To men. Yeah. Most yeah, practices there's, are there's less than 10. Men. Have you done anything specific or deliberate to market to men or has it just been organic? Like, how would you describe that? Because I would say... You've spoken to hundreds of injectors, yeah. and that's certainly above the average. Yeah, it's probably 10%, maybe, for most practices that yeah. we've spoken to. Yeah, it, it's definitely grown. Well, there's there's a few scenarios here that I'll mention. It's either, you know, a wife or a significant other that's like, okay, I need <laughs> to get my husband, boyfriend, whatever, in here and do it. So it's like kind of like a like a tease, like, let's get this Let's get my significant other because I'm looking good. Now I'm looking at this guy and he needs to look good too. So that's one <laughs> scenario. Um, I also see a lot in the, um, you know, the, the gay um, community as well. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, there's just, and I'm telling you, I see like all different types of males as well. So that's, that has absolutely. The other thing we offer here though, that I think has been a help is IV hydration therapy mm. and a whole wellness component. So many times I think that, I mean, men and women, everyone wants to look and feel great, right? 
But I think it can be intimidating for men and women sometimes to go into a place and think like, oh, this is, you know, stereotypical or I'm, I've seen a bad result. So now this, everyone's going to look like that. I think that whole misconception is starting to get better. Um, because it's becoming way more popular and just kind of the norm at this point. Yeah. So I think that with the wellness program too, having the men come in and maybe get an IV drip, they're doing it for athletic performance or to just feel better, an immunity drip, they kind of come into my space and it is a whole vibe. They're like, oh, wow, this is like, it's a mix of masculine and feminine. It's not so like intimidating now, I feel comfortable. And that kind of provokes the whole conversation to maybe do other treatments. So I think it's just like that introduction part that is, um, that is important. Mm. Yeah. Um, where did you develop your sort of aesthetic eye from? And what I mean is kind of your, your, your style. Did you pull that from lots of different uh, teachers and trainers? I know that you train for Gal Derma, so maybe you're sort of more influenced you know, from that angle, like, how would you describe your style as well? Yeah, I think my style has just developed over time from just having more experience and also, yeah, picking up different pieces from my other colleagues and my friends and kind of deciding, okay, what works, what doesn't. I try something new more or less every single day. I see something, I'm constantly, I'm on the pulse of it. I understand now how things, you know, work better than when I was, you know, day one injecting. So that's where I think you can start to become a little bit more creative is once you understand the science of these products, the anatomy, the why behind it, that really develops your style. And then that's when the artistry uh, starts to come alive is that you're not just so technical thinking this and that. If you have that foundation then the artistry can come alive and you can really develop a beautiful, you know, palette and um, result. Mm. So, so what are you best known for? What's your style or how would you describe your injecting? My injection? Um, I like the progressive uh, approach as far as coming up with a goal and kind of developing it from, um, from, the, from the ground up. So there's, I'm a big, I love biostimulation. I love Sculptra. I do tons of that. I love the PRP, PRF, um, you know, component added into, added into that. Um, I also, I just, I love like just highlighting certain areas with um, the HAs, of course. And then um, I, my, I love doing like lower face as well as especially lips, like lips are one of my jams. So, um, I kind of, I am more of like a global approach injector, not a, like a specific feature injector. So yeah. I very rarely, if we're talking lips, will only inject their lips. Like I'm trying to look at the whole face. So it's more proportionate. So I think that one of my things is just like that whole facial harmonization, facial balancing, making sure that everything looks in harmony with one another and um and working off that yeah we were just talking off air just before you joined us amy and um there's this concept and there's a few injectors doing this now where they're almost walking away from ha and saying i'm just going to concentrate on biostimulation i know shino is is a good proponent of that i know he pretty much only uses sculpture so where do you think that sort of concept's going to fit in the near future i mean the you know I, i think my take on it is that it's not HA that's the problem. It's just how it's been used. It, you know, the bad injecting yeah, is bad injecting. doesn't matter what you use. But there are some injectors who are making the deliberate decision to sort of move away from HA completely. What do you think of that? Well, I think that's such a good point, Jake, that, you know, you uh, a syringe is only a syringe. A vial is only a vial. It's the person that is operating these devices that are going to give great results, right? 
And that's the difference between a great injector and one that, you know, is very, very, you know, basic. So I think it's not always the product and we can't just blame products necessarily. It's also the person that's operating these products. So I think that biostimulation is up, is now like getting a lot of attention. People are liking this natural progressive beautification. So I think that it definitely has a really strong uh, part in the industry. And I think that it's not going to, um, you know, come in and like swipe away all HAs. I just think that this is another tool that now it's getting a lot of attention. People are getting really beautiful results. They like the progressive natural look, kind of moving away from that whole overdone look mm-hmm. and, you know, that over-exaggerated look. I know my patients, like, they just want to look really good. They don't want to look 20 years younger. They just want to look really good now yeah. and kind of have that whole anti-aging approach. So I don't think it's taking away. I think that there's just a really strong, uh, presence for it and a really good use that are going to give really good results mm. moving forward. Yeah. So, I mean, something I've noticed in my practice, just share this, is that you do, you know, maybe a, a large treatment on someone, it doesn't really matter, whatever they need, they get. And then they almost base their next treatment on a time rather than a need. So they'll come back after mm-hmm. a year and say, oh, I did that stuff a year ago. I want it again. And you're like, well, hold on, let, let's take a step back and look at your photos because yeah. you still look great. And I yeah. do think that there are many injectors who kind of go, okay, then it's another couple of grand in my pocket. No problem. Right. And that is the issue. It's not that the HA, you know, that foundation treatment was appropriate. Mm. It's just the right, repetitiveness right. of it. That, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, I've got some thoughts on that. I, I think that, um, and you know, Amy, feel free to sort of chime in and if you disagree with what different ideas. I think a lot of it comes down to education. When you look at a new mm-hmm. injector who graduates nursing and wants to get into this industry, you know, they're, they're sort of seized by all the pharmaceutical companies. They want to get in front of them. They want to tell them why their product's better than everyone else's and show them all the studies that they've, they've come up with. And <laughs> that's all great. And then it's all about toxin filler. Like the, these treatments are not really, I mean, the first treatment people learn to do is lips, which is probably one of the hardest areas, most likely to get an occlusion. Yeah. Um, it's mm. all very weird the way that we're trained. So I think a lot of it comes down to the way that we're educated um, because it okay. is just this focus, you know, your rep comes out and this is how much your average spend is and this is your repeat rate and everything comes back to money. Mm. And yeah. I just think that it, we've got it sort of ass up in terms of the way we're educating people. And I think that, you know, what you're doing, Amy, is it seems like, and I'm not sure whether you have reps that come into your business and this isn't a knock on reps because I know they do a great job and, you know, they've, they've got the best interest of the patients in mind. But I think a lot of it comes down to you taking charge of your, your own education, surrounding yourself with people who you want to aspire to be like. And so with your practice, is that something, has that been a conscious decision by you to sort of take control of that training process so that you're sort of molding these people in a way that you think is appropriate based on your experience rather than trying to push a certain product or a certain agenda? Absolutely. 1000%. Um, I, I, I believe in that anyone who's getting into the industry, I'm like, you're going to be like hounded by so many people in the industry. And they're going to tell you, you have to get 200 syringes or all these things. And I'm like, no, you don't at all. When I started independently, I would do, I was always in control of my inventory. As far as that, I would buy six syringes. When I got to four, I'd buy six more. It was always going back because that's how you get into trouble. Mm -hmm. I see so many practices who buy all these like crazy devices and all these things and they sit there and collect dust. And I'm like, that's like a massive mortgage, like, you Mm -hmm. know, payment every single month. It's not really producing. So 
until you know what your flow is, I'm fortunate now I can make larger purchases because I know what my production typically is. So that's when you can start investing more into, you know, as far as like amount of product, but as far as trainings, yeah, that, um, it, with medical aesthetics, it's a lot of it is up to you as a provider to really find and seek out these type of additional resources because companies can also only tell you what they can tell you, which is like on label, what's FDA approved, you know, here. So you might not be getting all of the actual, you know, opportunities to, you know, use these products to the best of their capabilities. And um, yeah, so that that's my piece with that. Yeah. So I think that like knowing that you are actually the one in control and then understanding all the portfolios, mm. um, you know, obviously I'm more Galderma heavy. I love the products. I believe in the products and it's in a very authentic way because I've also played with every product there is on the market. Mm. So I can speak to the fact of why I would prefer one to the other in a situation and not just be like brainwashed at all because mm. that's not that's not how I roll at all. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, I agree with you. I was going to ask, thank, uh, I'm going to ask you as well, Jack. I mean, we sort of talk about that concept of, you know, if you buy this many boxes of syringes, you get this much for free. I mean, mm. is it the right mentality? I mean, I understand there's, and trust me, I understand more than anyone or as much as anyone around the business side of this and there are commercial realities to what yeah. it is that we all do. But you know, do you think in some ways it creates an unconscious bias in injectors where you're being financially incentivized to buy X number of this kinds of products and then perhaps you've got that, you know, that sort of subconscious drive in the back of your head going, well, I need to get rid of this product off my shelf and, you know, rather than doing this, I'm going to do that. I mean, what, yeah, what do you think? I guess superficially, it, it, you can argue either way. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it, for me, it's a commodity, right? It's yeah. Whether you go and buy bleach or filler, <laughs> it's just more... Yeah you know, you're just going to save more money by yeah. buying more. And that's just business, I yeah. guess. But you're right. I mean, it's a medicine. We're using this for patients. There is this different dimension mm. to, to the argument as well. And I guess if you're a, certainly an inexperienced injector, you may feel pressured to buy something that you don't understand or you don't need or want, or it's going to expire before you can get through it. So there is that to it as well. But I mean, I agree with what Amy said. Try, try everything, mm. play, go and learn from different people. Don't just listen to one brand or product. And then you will kind of make your decision. And then once you're comfortable with something and you know how to use it, go and buy a gallon mm. because, you know, it's, it's worth saving money, obviously. Mm. But, yeah, it's difficult. These questions always coming up with, you know, tiering and mm. how do I get up the tier and the ladder and it... You know, I know Subio's big on sort of criticizing it because he sort of calls it pyramid selling. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's funny. Like, I, I totally understand what he's saying. I'm not necessarily yeah. sure I believe it's as evil as he says. But, yeah, I, I think it depends on your experience. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, should a drug that's prescribable be sold like that? That's not for me to decide. No, it's, it's, just, it's, it's interesting just how discussions. it is. Yeah. It's just how it's done. Yeah. Um, you know, and if I was the owner of a brand or a product, yeah. I would probably do the same thing. Mm. I would, you know, if someone buys a hundred instead of one, you might offer it cheaper. Yeah. 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 I don't, what do you think? I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know the right answer. Mm. I just think it's in, it's an interesting discussion piece because there is a commercial reality to what it is that we do. Mm. And it's sort of like, you know, traditional medicine, therapeutic medicine, you're not really talking about the price. People come in because they've got a condition, they need to be treated, they need a medication or they need a procedure or they need some sort of yeah. care. And the money doesn't, the money sort of doesn't really get spoken about. But yeah. now we're in an industry where 
you know, people, you know, generally are not going to, you know, suffer any, you know, major physical health issues by not getting these treatments. I understand there's a mental component, which is very important to a lot of people. Yeah. And it's kind of like we're in this hybrid where it, it's still medicine, yeah. but it's been very commercialized. And it's about trying, it's, to, it's how do you walk that line? It's and, elective. Yeah. I mean, it's about, you know, not to be a hypocrite, because I believe all injectors or many injectors do this. I don't charge the same for one syringe as I charge for three or four. Yeah. There's a slight saving yes. to make it more tangible, realistic. Yeah. And, you know, patients like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing what the companies are doing. Yeah. Really. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think any injector really doesn't do that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very rare that you can be at Raja Quiller's level where you just have a price. Yeah. And whether you have a hundred or one, that's the price. Yeah. You know, and well done to Raj. He's a good friend of ours and he's got that market that he can just command mm. that. But most injectors don't. Well, he's like the 1%. Yeah, you exactly. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I just think it's an, in, it's an interesting discussion. I'm not sure what, what side of the, the sort of argument I land yeah. on, but I just think it's worth discussing and being conscious of at the very least. Well, I wanted to ask another question to Amy because, again, I'm in the same boat. When, when you train independently for yourself, Glow Academy, mm -hmm. versus with Galderma, you, you are wearing slightly different hats, right? Because yeah. you have to oh, be yeah. very compliant on label, et cetera, when you're on stage or on podium talking for Galderma. And of course, when you're teaching independently, you can essentially say what you like. So how do you reconcile right. that? Because sometimes you can sort of feel a bit handcuffed when, when you're representing a brand. Yeah, no, I know. Sometimes I feel like it's harder for me to train on label than it is to train independently because it's like when I do academies here, we do get our courses, uh, CME, uh, you know, accredited now. Uh, we go through that whole process. Um, but when I'm training, it's like I can, it's kind of like whatever I want to talk about or whatever, whatever the trainees want to talk about. A lot of times I go in kind of like, you know, podcast, the way you format things is I go in with a structure, but then when, if I feel like somebody really wants more, you know, uh, information about something that I can give them, then we can, we can deviate like left and right. So you kind of have a little bit more, uh, wiggle room with yeah. that. So, and then with Galderma, of course, it's, it's all, it's regulated. There are certain things that you, um, you know, you have, you can't, you can't not, you can't say what you do in your normal practice. Cause that's not, that's not the point of it, yeah. but I'll say like in both ways, they do help with one another because when I'm training for Galderma as well, it brings me back to some of these like, you know, foundational type of information, which I think is really important. And so when I'm training for them, it's almost like this refresher of all the things that they're known for. And then even if it's conflicting from what I would do in my normal day, I don't feel inauthentic doing it because it's still more like science driven. So I don't feel like I'm, I'm not being authentic to it. So, yeah. so, and Galdorma is such a great community and they, they really do uh, support that. But, you know, like with anything, there is, you know, there's, there's rules and um, I have no problem following that. Can I ask what, do, what do you specifically do? What are your roles with Galdorma? What, what sort of forum does it take when you're teaching or training? What do they offer? I do a few things. So I'll do faculty. I'm part of Gen Now, which is part of their, um, you know, their trainers that they, you know, put on different podiums and send out to different, you know, represent them as a brand. Um, I also do trainings all over the country. So I typically at, at this stage, I'll go, I'll go somewhere, fly somewhere and I'll spend a few days there and do a bunch of trainings while I'm out there mm -hmm. uh, to boom them out all together or do larger group trainings, um, you know, or speaking and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. And how did you get into that or why did you get into that? 
Well, speaking about reps, mm-hmm. um, my Galderma rep was pivotal. Her name's Kathleen. I hope she's listening when she <laughs> listens. Um, she was actually pivotal in the beginning of my my career. Um, she came along right when I decided to separate from the previous practice and open up my own. And she was she was huge. And when I opened, the unique thing was I already had a pretty decent following. So it wasn't like I opened up a practice. It was like, oh my gosh, I hope someone comes and sees me. I was already kind of had these seeds planted. And I think it caused interest in their market to be like, who is this Amy coming out of like left field? She has this practice now. She's booked. She's like, top 100 in Galderma's production as a single provider. Like I was like 72. The, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I said, I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't even know any of these things were even things because I was just doing what I, what I was doing. And um, I think that like kind of raised a couple, a couple interests. And then, um, so people started, I guess, chatting and I found this out like years later, cause I had no idea. And all of a sudden all these like high ups from Galderma were just like, coming in to say hello to me and i didn't realize they were actually like kind of scouting me out to see like what was what the deal was and um you know tiffany hall uh she was in charge again at the time she flew out and she came to the practice and she was she was impressed by it i was impressed by her and she was like i'm gonna put you on every stage known to man one day she's like because you have you have it and she believed in me and then i got thrown into the hat to become a trainer and that's how it all began. And let me just tell you, training is amazing and I love it. But the true value of being part of this network is exactly that. Being part of this network, having resources, making friendships, building relationships, um, having people that you can like call on if there's ever an issue whatsoever, having a question about a different product. What is your experience about that? And not having any ego about it yeah. or judging and being completely just honest. So I talk to my friends almost every day about something, you know, we're going back and forth about something in the industry and um, being put into that niche, like market and that like really like select group that has helped me so much with every single thing I do. It's definitely triggered the fact that I love education, which is like, you know, kind of like phase two of, um, you know, my practice is like, that's why we have a space now, whereas I love hosting events. I love collaborations. I love to educate others and be a mentor. And that's that's the story of behind Galderma. So I'm so grateful. And I, like I said, I didn't know what went into even became, being considered for a trainer, but now I know. And I'm like, oh my God, how did they even, why did <laughs> they ask me that? And kind of like, why are people coming to me so early? But I guess, you know, there were certain things that really kind of, um, you know, raised a little bit of interest in it. So uh, moving forward now, and I've trained for Galderma for uh, about five years now. And um, even within that market, it's it's growing for other opportunities. So it's really exciting. Very exciting. No, you're doing amazing, Amy. And I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's more the collaborative networking and connections that you make as part of the training circuit that is more important than almost the teaching which you get gratification from but it's everything else i wanted to ask you though um you know and sometimes i have to counter these questions do you ever get um uh, criticized by by injectors that you train or whatever that you've been bought by the company that you you are brainwashed and you know all that kind of chat no not at all I've never actually gotten that, not to my knowledge. Um, no, because you know what? The products I use are products I believe in. So whether it's Galderma, Allergan, MERS, it doesn't like, 
like I said, the products kind of speak for themselves. Yeah. And so does the person giving it. So I never, um, I don't feel like that at all. Um, Galderma has been like an enhancement to my career, but the brand was built, my brand was built before that. So I don't feel inauthentic or brainwashed or anything because I talk to everybody from all different companies. I have great relationships with Allergan. I have great relationships with Mars. I have great relationships with all of them. It, there's nothing like that whatsoever. Yeah. It's just that the, the products I tend to gravitate more towards are just the ones that... Um, I've had the experience of, of, of giving great results and yeah. um, I'm not like opposed to using different companies either. I just, I, I primarily use Galderma, but I use all the portfolios. Yeah. Maybe I didn't elaborate my question just in case people got the ring into the stick there. What I mean is I could answer a mm-hmm. question online from someone about anything and immediately my association with Allegan as a trainer or a key opinion leader is that I'm saying their message, not my message. It's just an association thing. And yeah. you said yourself, you like Galderma products. You maybe don't exclusively use them, but you use a majority of them. So there's always this association with you and the company, and yet you're on stage being paid by the company. So how how do you level that? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I I haven't really gotten into a situation where I've been pressed on this yeah. until right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wanted to throw a curveball. So, this was too thank easy. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not really sure. You stumped me. I don't know because <laughs> I haven't really gotten any massive heat from, from, from that or even any concerns. So I don't, I don't know. No, that's good. I mean, I, I think I, what you're saying, and, and this is how I feel, is that you have used all the products, yet, you are most comfortable using Disport, I am assuming, and the rest of the lane range because you've used them the most. Plus, you've also been trained how to use them as an expert within Galderma. So it's just logical mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. going to use those products more. And it's the same for me. Oh. I'm, I would never knock any other brand. I've used a lot of the other brands and they're all good. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's yeah. not good that's available, at least in Australia. It's quite hard to get a filler approved in Australia. I, 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 it's definitely different in the UK. And I think you can mm-hmm. sort of raise your eyebrows at some of the brands, but you know, it's just logical. It's just experience, isn't it? You're, le- you're putting into practice what you know best. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think as well, no matter who you are or what you do, or how well you do it, you're always going to come under some level of criticism. Someone's got to like what you do or someone's going to make an assumption. So I think it's just from someone that's not an injector but quite closely involved in the industry, I think it's just about remaining authentic and just being honest with your patients and being open-minded to be questioned and checking yourself and and constantly re-evaluating your decisions that you make. And that's pretty much, I think, the best you can do. Well, that's why I love the podcast because we can have people on from all sorts of backgrounds and associations and we just have a good old chat yeah. and, we, and we talk as friends and respected colleagues and we yeah. don't have to label each other you know you yeah. go to conferences and you just see the tribalism you see the little pockets of people hanging around and you've got the ultrasounders and the non-ultrasounders and the nurses and the doctors and it just pick whatever group you like and there's some sort of tribalism it's like school it's yeah, like it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a yeah. schoolyard but for it's like doctors and nurses school. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah it's, sometimes it's worse yeah jake you did such a great post on instagram coming back from europe oh uh, yes yeah, yeah and it was you're so right like there's many ways to do a lot of things. And the more that we know about this industry, the more that we're all advancing, we're going to find a million more ways to do things. So I think it goes back to respect mm. also. 
and respecting people for, okay, if you like to use cannula more than needle, it doesn't make you a horrible injector, injector or vice versa. Or if you prefer one portfolio compared to the other, you're not brainwashed. I think it's the authenticity. Yeah. I think you do what you feel is the, going to deliver the best results. You stay patient-centered and you get lots of education and understand the science of all the things. And then you can kind of, you know, it translate. It's very easy. So to me, it's just going back to being authentic and doing what, doing the, using the products, trying it out, being on the pulse and uh, surrounding yourself with great people that you can use as resources as mm. well. Yeah. And be one. Now, we want to get onto some business-related questions, but before we get there, a couple, I guess, more clinical questions to ask you. One was around this phenomenon, around these full-face dissolving episodes that people are requesting to sort of start again with their with their fillers. Um, and oh, then yes. also ultrasound, which is also kind of a – well, I wouldn't say it's controversial, but it's new and people have some differing opinions and thoughts on it. So, what are your thoughts on, you know, A, dissolving in general and, and this trend to dissolve faces? And then, you know, ultrasound, do you believe, do you not? Are you going to put it into your practice? So I'm all about the dissolving. I did it to myself actually when I came back from Monaco this last year because (laughs) I ended up getting COVID. First time getting COVID, I thought I was going to be the one that never got it. And let me just tell you, I came back and all of a sudden it must have been product from I hadn't done anything in my lips or lower face in a very long time. And I had this massive post-inflammatory response deep inside. So it was definitely product that was there for many years ago because we don't inject like that. Just like our products are advancing, our techniques are as well. Mm. And it just kind of distorted everything. So I'm like, well, if I were my patient, what would I do? Because I will not over inject somebody. I will not put band-aids on anybody. I w- I'm quicker to reverse and start fresh than I am to just inject over something. Um, Because many times patients don't even know what's in their face. So they're like, I have no idea what's what's injected. So let's I don't even know how many syringes. So I like to start fresh so I can give them a wow instead of just like an okay. So I reversed everything. And I realized like from that process, my smile had been distorted for like a very long time, which I didn't even know. It was from like probably eight, nine years ago that I had my lips done for the first time. So but tying it into ultrasound, I think we also now know that products are lasting longer for some people than we ever gave credit to. Mm. You know, it's either it goes away too fast or it stays too long. And usually the ones that stay too long are not the ones we want to stay so long, right? Yeah. So um, so I went through that process and um, I was very happy that I did. So I do a lot of reversal, mostly for, you know, best aesthetic outcomes with it. So I'm all about that absolutely all about reversing it because again, we have more knowledge now. Um, as far as ultrasound, yes, I'm definitely adding that. We just did a course here this past year. We did a cadaver course. We call it coast to coast. Um, hence, you know, West coast to East coast and everything else outside of the coast. But, um, we've done this a couple of times now at my office here in Yardley at Glow Academy, um, a cadaver course. And this year we added an ultrasound to it and it was absolutely epic it was awesome because at one part in the in the second um part of the day i was doing live injections and um my partner in this project david sadat he's a plastics out in beverly hills he was doing the cadaver piece and then we had the ultrasound you know element to it so we were actually showing live injections compared to cadaver at the same time next to each other and then showing the ultrasound component as far as like anatomically where these products were sitting. So it's very cool to kind of put this into sync. I do think ultrasound should be treated in the same way as far as we were talking about before about ongoing education. 
could really understand it just like we do in injectables or any sense of medicine or education. Um, ultrasound is also an art. So it's great if you have an ultrasound, but you don't know what you're looking at or don't know how to use it. What good is it? You know, it's just like having a syringe, but not knowing how to inject it properly. Yeah. So I think the ultrasound is really coming to light. I see a lot of good and value benefits that it just makes sense. And especially being a training institute, like I'm looking forward to understanding it more so I can implement it more into my practice and into trainings. Yeah. Mm. Can, can I establish, I think I'm right in saying you would use Hylanex rather than Hylase in the States. Is that correct? Yes. Yep, so I only it. found out, I was just doing some reading, that Hylanex is recombinant human hyaluronidase, whereas uh, Hyalase, which we use here in this, in Australia and Europe, it's from sheep's testicles. Yeah. So there oh you go. Oh my goodness. There you wow. go. The hyaluronidase from the testicles. It's very ballsy. Yes. <laughs> That's very ballsy. But uh, the reason I mentioned it well, wasn't for the humor because it wasn't very funny. Is that Hyalinex comes in 150 units, whereas okay. Hyalase comes in 1,500 units. Yep. So when we talk about Hyalase and dissolving, um, there can be some confusion in, in dilution and units because of what you do in the States versus here. So I just thought I'd flag right. that for anyone listening in the States. So what's your typical dilution um, or, or how much I actually don't. I actually don't dilute. I just do. I usually do it straight. Okay. So again, dilution. that's different because ours comes as a powder. Yours presumably comes as a liquid. Yes, just as a liquid. Right. Okay. So different. Interesting. So especially for like best aesthetic outcomes, I find that if you're just kind of pinpointing and it's not in this like massive like emergency situation, I like the um, not, not, not diluting it because I can be really pinpoint in areas to really just kind of like, you know, bring down and reduce that area mm. as far as, you know, the product that remains. So I kind of like the precision piece of it. Same way that I, you know, will dilute like a Botox or Dysport. It's always like a one-to-one. I kind of like the simplicity of that. Right. Um, so yeah, that's why I like it. What, what volume does Hylanex come in? How many mils or? Uh, I believe it's two mLs. Two mL. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to find out what, what that is mm. the equivalent to. Yeah. Cause you're talking about two diff slightly different, different potencies. Things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Should we talk about some business stuff? Do it. Let's do it. Do it. So we've had, a little, we've had a little bit of an idea about your practice. We know you've got three sort of mentees or, or junior nurses that work within your practice. Um, but in terms of, you know, starting your own business, um, you know, from, you know, coming up with the initial, I guess, chunk of money to open it up and to go through the build process and working out where you're going to situate yourself and what services you're going to offer. Can you just give us a little bit of a, a flavor of how that all started and maybe some of the challenges that you faced along the way? Sure. Well, it started off as just me. Yeah. So it's just me, myself, and I. <laughs> and then I hired somebody to ha help handle my schedule. And I had one esthetician at the time. That was it. So that was that was pretty much it. So it was just me, no assistant, nothing like that whatsoever, because I was used to operating um, operating like that. And then um, I'm really fortunate now that I have an amazing team. I have great support. I have an executive assistant, Jody, who's been with me now for gosh, probably about five years now. And her role has developed immensely. She started off as just helping me out like at the front desk and support. She was actually, I actually, this is a little funny story. Um, I actually found Jody for my ex-husband when he needed an assistant and right. she had a background in finance and in education. And then when the divorce happened, guess who got to keep Jody? Me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Jody's been with me. She's a lawyer. She's amazing. And then I have um, a chief growth officer who's also actually a nurse that I just hired in. She has a massive amount of, um, 
you know, uh, experience in nurse leadership. Cause I really realized I need a full-time like actual practice manager because I do like the travel. I like to be out there. I have a great core here. So I'm able to do all these things and I have a good foundation. So I'm able to go out in the world and not feel like I have to, I can't leave for, I don't trust them because I do. Um, and then I have, well, now we have nine, nine working with us. Um, we have another, um, girl who's she's back in nursing school but she helps run the front desk she assists in the room and so i think that the biggest advice i would say is don't over hire like too quick take your time hiring do your homework get to know them try it before you go all in because i've also had experiences where it wasn't the most desirable we've mm. gone i've gone through a few mm. um episodes where you know i'm I was excited and I didn't really go through the process I go through now with hiring and it hadn't like resulted in the most positive way. Um, now I really take my time getting to know them, going through the process so that you're not overexpanding. Volume doesn't mean you need to have 50 people working for you. Uh, you could have the right five and be just as fine, you know? Yeah. What, what do you love and also hate about owning a business? I wake up every single day and I'm excited to come here. I never once wake up and am like, I have to go to work. Oh my God, I dread now. Like I I love our energy here. I love my squad. I love my patients. Um, and I'm not just saying that as like a, you know, Miss America pageant speech. I truly, <laughs> I, I literally wake up every day and I'm like, oh my gosh. Now, is it not a ton of work? It absolutely is. Um, owning your own practice doesn't go without sacrifice as well. And, but I never feel like at this point, I'm, I'm at the point, I'm at that six year mark where I'm really reevaluating systems. I'm reevaluating what has worked, what has not worked and what I can do better moving forward. And that's professionally, personally, the whole thing, and really kind of like redefining and um, you know, understanding that. So you can have all these other aspects and elements because my focus is very different than not different, but it's just kind of expanded from day one when I opened, mm. um, if you would have said I would have an academy and love to train globally and do all these kind of things, I would have said again, like if you would have told me 10 years ago, I would have been an injector and owning my own practice. That sounds cool. Like, but not on the radar. So mm. um, I think that like trusting the process of evolving and like finding what your true interests are is really, really important. And that you don't have to do everything all at once. Like, yep. like kind of like find out what gives you that energy and um, spin off of that. Mm. Um in terms of long term, I mean, I'm not sure how old you are, um, but I'm assuming you know you're very experienced. How old do you think I am? Oh gosh, hard, asking me via Zoom, God, hard <laughs> Worst to say. Question. Yeah, um, but at some pay, at some stage, we're all going to make a decision to move on with our life and, and sort of leave whatever career that we've developed behind us to you know enter in the next chapter. And so, a lot of the people that I'm consulting, like not just in Australia but globally around their businesses, is around what is your exit strategy. And it's something that not a lot of people have thought about or it's, it's you know, ask the question and it's almost like, you know, this light bulb goes off. It's like, yeah, I can't do this forever or maybe I do, but it's going to be a staggered sort of, you know, slowly sort of winding down and, and sort of handing the reins over to someone else. And a lot of the time, unless you've thought about this in advance, by the time that that moment becomes a reality, you haven't really put the, the pieces in place to be able to achieve that. So um, I guess what I'm asking you is, have you thought about the future when you do decide at some stage in, in the future that you want to, you know, go and pursue other things or you don't want to work so hard. What is your exit strategy or, you know, making the business less reliant on you? And it sounds like you've already started to make steps to do that. But what does it look like beyond this and, and how are you going to get out, I guess, at some point? Yeah, 
Well, I'm hoping, quite honestly, that um, one of my children will be like super into all this yep. and can kind of help take the reins. My mom, um, she worked labor and delivery for almost 40 years, right. and now she works with me. She can, she does a lot of the behind the scene kind of things. So she retired and actually started working with me. Right. Huge benefit because she's now kind of like my control officer behind the scenes and kind of like oversees some things, but um, she doesn't typically see a lot of patients now. So I'm hoping it will stay into the family. I don't have like an exit plan because right now I'm kind of in this this really big growth mode and figuring out like all aspects of this industry and what is yet to come and the interests that like make me excited to spin off of that and continue to grow. But I think I've diversified my angle a little mm-hmm. bit more over the past few years where I'm not, I only see patients three days a week now. Um, and I've designated the other days to help build out the practice and also to have some personal time as well. I am all about like, as much as I love what I do, it's all about having that integration of, I hate saying the word balance because things are never necessarily in balance, but actually having, you know, some sort of priorities and being present with whatever you're doing. So I don't have like an exit plan, but I'm hoping somebody in my family, one of the, one of the five yep. will be into it. And then we can kind of transition that way at some point, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't have the itch whatsoever to get out of it anytime soon. Yeah. What about it? maybe expanding you know, like uh, subsequent clinics, locations, maybe the nurses that are working for you is, you know, is the Amuline brand going to sort of spread outside of Philadelphia at some point? It, it, you know, never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been brought up a few times to me in opportunities to open up other Glodermas, you yeah. know, around the country. Um, I go back to the quality of life and mm. I think about all the things that we chatted about and it's like, do I want to have to feel like I have to manage 15 offices so that the brand stays on brand? Mm-hmm. I'm very protective. I don't think Glowderma is necessarily a franchisable type of thing mm-hmm. unless you have the same people and the same kind of vibe. Now, not to say I can't help implement components of Glowderma and consult or maybe do something like that, um, you know, on a regular basis, which is, which I do do that. Um, so I don't know. Um, I love to travel and get out there. I just don't know how that will translate as far as quality of life mm. moving forward. Yeah. But um, I'm not opposed to it. I'm mm. open, but I'm not like speaking out as far as being like this massive tran- you know, you know yeah. franchise type of thing. Yeah. Does that uh, make sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I got a question. It's yeah. not a clinical question, but more business. You, you're incorporating IV um, vitamins and, and sort of hydration into your clinic. So why did you choose to add that and... From a business perspective, you know, you don't have to give us numbers, but is it lucrative or, you know, because I, I hear a lot of injectors sort of dabbling or, or wondering whether to add it. They don't know much about it. It's not really yeah. their thing. They know nothing about nutrition. So just from a business perspective, how how and why? So to be quite honest, you know what inspired me to do IVs? So when I worked in the ER and people would come <laughs> in heavily, heavily, heavily intoxicated, falling off the structure, acting up, we'd give them what we call banana bag, which is basically a vitamin infusion of yeah. high potency vitamins. And they would wake up and they'd feel great. And I'm like, why are we not doing this on well people? Because I think people would feel great doing this no matter what. And we're talking chronic like kind of illnesses. So no one was doing it uh, only in like Vegas. And it was starting to get hot on the West Coast. But even before I opened Glodermy, I started to like think about this. So I decided to try it out and say, well, it's a, it's, it's no loss to me. Mm. The overhead, as far as like the products itself for IV is 
aren't necessarily a super, it's not like you're buying injectables or yeah. devices or anything. I said, let me just try this out and see if it works. And um, I was the first in our whole region to open up like a proper like IV lounge, like IV drip lounge. And so I tried it out. I'm like, this is really kind of like a no brainer. And going back to that whole look and feel and wellness piece of it. Yeah. And it's not a ton of overhead. It's a great add-on. People can be getting their injectables and getting their drip. Or they can sit in our like luxury like IV lounge and chill out and like kind of like just take it all in. Um, so so it was kind of like I think that a standalone business, depending on where you're located, could be very difficult to sustain. But I think I'm thriving aesthetic practices incorporating this. Um, it's 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 a no-brainer. I yeah. think if you're, if you have, I have a full staff that are all, you know, they can start IVs, they can do all these things. It's not like I'm losing time. Like I'm not the one necessarily starting IVs now, even though sometimes I like to go in there and make sure I still got it from the, <laughs> from the ER. Um, but more or less, like, it's like, I have a full staff of nurses that are trained and capable of doing it, that adding that on is very easy, yeah. um, you know, for them to do it for us to provide. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've worked at clinics that do do it and the one thing that and i'm sure you have this you just need space and yeah. you need somewhere where they can sort of almost be away from you know the the hustle and bustle of the clinic to actually relax and have that wellness vibe otherwise it just doesn't work yeah. you're sort of sat there in yeah. the corner attached by all this stuff is happening around you and it's not very <laughs> yeah. relaxing and people love it because you know, the, people usually associate IVs with people being sick. Mm. And we don't treat, like, we're not treating, we're not treating chronic illnesses with this. This is on well people who just want to feel better. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's, we do have that lounge. Sometimes people are like, listen, I have 20 minutes. You're doing my Discord or Botox right now. Uh, can you just, like, give me an infusion real quick? And they leave and they feel like a million bucks. So it really does, um, it does help them. So I think if you have the staff, you have the credentials and you have even like a small space it, to accommodate the ones that just want to sit down and chill and relax. Um, you know, I, it, it's a great concept of integrating into an already established uh, aesthetic practice. I think it's it's a really smart move. Yeah. Now, we'd be remiss not to talk about your academy and your coast to coast in a bit more detail because that's, you know, I think it's really cool what you're doing. So Glow Academy, mm -hmm. how long have you been going for? And very simply, like, what are you offering? Is it only newbies? Is it advanced? Like, how do you structure it? Because the question that I, I can't answer, we keep on cropping up on Inside Aesthetics is, how do you train people? What's the best way of doing this? And how do you decide if someone's competent and ready to go and, you know, take money off people and inject them? That That's something I, I still can't square my own, to yeah. be honest, myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I treat all different levels of injectors. I thrive and I love small intimate group trainings or, you know, privates. Um, I, I feel like as this industry grows, it can also be extremely intimidated to people who want to get in or, or are just start, starting out or who have been in it for a while. And now there's like all these resources compared to how it was before. And I find that some of these larger trainings, people are walking in and they're leaving more lost than when they than when they started. Like I like that human connection, building the relationship. If you guys haven't caught on to that, I mm -hmm. like 
like that gives me energy to to want to help and and really help cultivate that experience. So I like the smaller, more intimate training um, class, um, and I do do all different types. I have one coming up in uh, about a week and a half or so, and we're doing like an advanced tox and full facial balancing, uh, you know, CME course. But I'm limiting it to like six people because I want. I find like if I'm doing this by myself to give a full day course, if I had 50 people in the room, I'm not going to be able to give value to them the way that I can if I'm really like just, you know, uh, closer, like more intimate type setting. So I prefer doing that. Um, even our close to coast cadaver, I cap it at about 20, 24 max. Um, again, designing that process of not having volume, but actual quality and um, being able that people leave and they're like, oh my gosh, not only do I feel like I learned a lot, I have a whole new group of friends yeah. and resources and all those things I kind of mentioned early on that I necessarily didn't have in the beginning. Like that's something that I found so valuable in my career as it advances that that's now what I want to give back to anybody who is trusting in me to train them is that attention, that attention to detail and really like help, um, help grow them as well and support them along their journey. And um, so Academy has been super exciting. We, the physical building space that I'm sitting in now, um, we just actually right before our, our Coast to Coast Cadaver course, it was supposed to be stage one and I never do anything just half. So mm -hmm. I'm like, well, no, let's just make it the way we want it to be. So um, so we just actually launched that. That was in November um, as far as the physical space. Prior to that, I have another area that we were doing the trainings. And again, as that started to expand and gain popularity, I decided it was time to invest in, um, you know, buying the building and, and adding additional training space here. Wow. So very simply, do you do sort of toxin training alone? Or do you do mixed with filler? How do you structure it all? So um, this upcoming one is both. So it's like advanced, like, you know, full face and neck. Yeah. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, full facial rejuvenation and also incorporating things like PRP, PRF, uh, you know, biosimulation, that whole concept as well. So it's like basically how I would practice and approach a patient. Yeah. And then there's a hands-on opportunity where they can inject and I'm helping with them, you know, along the process and kind of guide them along the way. Uh, that's geared to a little bit more experienced injectors. Um, and then we also have a novice course and we take it from there, but I have all different types of courses and I kind of, whenever I'm like, okay, this would be interesting or people are like biting onto this. That's kind of how I develop the, um, actual course topic. You know, what I've always struggled with when, whenever I've either been involved with training or being trained myself is that you get models along, of course, you need people to, to be treated and the injectors, particularly newbies need to learn something very finite, like Glabella, forehead, crow's feet, fine, yeah. three areas of treatment. But often the model doesn't need it or they're not quite appropriate or they don't want it or whatever. Right. So you're kind of fudging a technique into a model just for the sake of it. But then, of course, in real life, when a paying patient comes and they've got a different face, the injector who's quite inexperienced often gets lost and they're like, oh, it's not how it was last week when I was training. Right. And they just get lost. So... Yeah. I don't know. How do you get that process right? And how long do you think it takes for an injector, a novice injector, to, to feel comfortable enough to, to sort of master that initial anxiety? 
Anxiety, sure. Yeah, I usually what I'll do, especially because it's more intimate, I'll actually have them send pictures of potential models, um, you know, to myself and to my team, just to kind of identify who would be the best for what what their level of skill set is. Yeah. Again, if we have somebody who's like brand new and they're like, I want to do full facial, ex- advance everything, da, 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 and I'm like, hold on a second, back it up. Let's let's start with you know talks. Let's master that same way as I, I design my mentorship here um, in-house with my with my team. It's like, let's master these skills first. So I kind of like, we. that's how we kind of identify appropriate, uh, you know, model selection, mm. that sort of thing. And um, what was the second question, Jake? I'm sorry. It was well, I guess, then- how long do you think it takes, you know, because what happens is injectors want to learn as quickly as possible because they want to start mm-hmm. making money. And, and many of them do one day or one week and suddenly... You know, some clinics will employ those people, at least in Australia. I don't know what it's like in America. And it's terrifying. But at the same mm-hmm. time, that is the reality. It's enabled. It's allowed. It's They get given it's a certificate. It's encouraged. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, that's yeah. ridiculous and nonsense. Uh, nonsense. And, and the, the course that I did w- was exactly that uh, 15 years mm-hmm. ago. So, yeah, same. so how do you, I mean, I know everyone's different, but like, do you have, do you have a, a career ladder or a number of courses that you say you've got to do this before I would say that you're, you're relatively competent. Yeah. I mean, I'm pulling from all different, um, different experience levels. So that kind of, that's very variable, Hmm. but, um, I, you know, what I do get into a lot whenever I'm training is that this is not a one course and then think that you're a rock star, especially if you're newer, like, I really stress the fact that it's ongoing education. You have to invest back into your education in order to consider yourself even competent at all to hold a syringe to somebody who is trusting in you in in delivering these services. So yeah, so it's kind of like not like how many courses do you do? Same way when I'm mentoring my nurses who are working with me, it's not like in three months, I'm letting you loose. I kind of get to know them through the process of what their comfort levels are yeah. and also when I'm ready to kind of push them to the next level. So it's it's really kind of depends on that individual person. Mm. Um, have you ever had to have a conversation with someone who just didn't get it? I mean, there's, there's going to be people out there. I mean, this is art, right? So, I mean, uh, how do you have that conversation with those people who you've trained and you just know they just don't have the eye. They just don't, they're not kind of connecting the dots. How, how do those conversations go if, you, if you've had to have them before? I've had to have that early on with, um, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to, I had to have that early on with people who I um, actually was working with me on the very early stages. And um, I'm one to keep a promise. And that's what I did when I opened up my practice. I promised a couple of people that I would, you know, bring them along. And I, you know, and quite honestly, it was also a learning opportunity for me because mm. what I've learned is you're not going to go all in with this. You're never going to get good. So that was also a leadership kind of mm. um, thing I didn't know. Like as far as like, you know, you're building a business, you're starting off, you're used to being like a sole provider of like, you know, running this and you just have a million things going on. And what I do now, I don't hire anybody part-time. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of like my statement, like unless you're going to commit full time to this, you will never master these skills because that's what it takes. It takes continuing education practice, like being around it. If anyone thinks that they're going to be amazing by injecting once a month or twice a month, they're totally misled. You will never be that artist if you do it that way. So if you commit to it, you have to go 1,010% all in 
and and do it for the right reasons and don't go on the on the fact that you think you're going to be famous or a millionaire or anything like that it takes a lot of grit it takes a lot of work but if you love it it's worth it so um so yeah i mean just one final question because there'll be newbies who who know the answer to what we've just said but then the, still the problem is they pay for a course or a couple of courses they want to go all in so they're going to leave their hospital job or whatever it is but they're not ready yet after two courses three mm-hmm. courses a week so how do they translate what they've learned in that early course and build on it because they're you know they're not going to go and experiment on the public so what should they be doing in that really early interim period where they want to learn and they're keen but they can't and also a lot of people just want a chance right mm-hmm. to get a chance to work in in a practice to do that and that's also really hard to find like as popular as it is some people are just looking for that actual chance to get their foot in the door in or, in, able, in order to do this. Yeah. Um, I think if you're in that transitional phase, what I would advise is maybe like, you know, make sure that this is for you and don't leave your full-time job necessarily right away. Yeah. Get your feet wet, get your men- find mentors, find someone who's going to help you along this journey to get your foot into the door and develop it and kind of like plant plan it out from there. I did that in the beginning stages. I was at the time working weekends and as I was getting busier, it was like, okay, one day, but I was still like studying and doing all my other things, two days to three days to four days. And once I got to five days, I'm like, okay, I guess I have to leave my one day <laughs> on Sunday that's putting me over the edge working in the ER. So that's how I got it kind of got out of traditional medicine completely. But I was I was working a lot more during the week, just, you know, kind of going all in, but transitioning out. Yeah. So I think find a really good resource, really good mentor, continuing your um, you know, education, doing the proper trainings. Um, I think that's all really, really helpful, um, especially in the beginning stages of your career. And listen to good podcasts, maybe, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Listen to, you know, Inside Aesthetics. Listen to, I mean, there's so many great yeah. resources now that it's like, it just, it's, I'm like so excited to how this industry is going because it wasn't like this eight years ago at all. Yeah. It was like fishing around and watching all these modules and like, oh my gosh, like, how do I do these things? And it's just super exciting how uh, progressive this has been. And, um, you know, I'm excited for the future for everything that, we all have in store. Yeah. Now with the cadaver course, that that's cool. What, how did that come about? And again, what, what's on offer? Cause there'll be a lot of people who've never done a cadaver course. Well, anyone listening, who's an injector, you should do at least one cadaver course a year. And I'm not just saying that because I now have a cadaver course. The reason why I decided to launch a cadaver course is because I was very fortunate as a trainer to do at least one or two cadaver courses a year through the through the companies. And this was, you know, two years ago, cadaver things weren't cadaver courses weren't really like a thing. Like they didn't, no one really thought cadaver courses were like sexy and like even like necessary. So now it's like, you know, after being a trainer and doing these courses in a smaller, more intimate setting and getting to play with these different products, understanding anatomy, you know, dissecting back and seeing how the, the product integrates into the tissue. I found that this was like amazing. And why can't we offer this to people who n- might not be trainers? And how do we kind of dive in even deeper? 
So it's very simple. I was at a train the trainer for Galderma and it just popped in my head. I'm like, well, this would be awesome if I could have like a smaller cadaver course and work with somebody who is, you know, an exceptional anatomist and kind of develop a course around that that's smaller, more intimate, and more like, you know, focused on facial anatomy, the safety of injections, and also how these products you work. Yeah. So that's how it came about. And I had the idea six weeks later, we had a course. So that's, if you haven't, that's another drift. I go very, I'm, if I'm all in, I'm all in. So, um, and it was amazing. So we designed this course, um, again, non-intimidating, all-inclusive. You don't have to think about anything. You just come and we, we do all the other work and, you know, provide a great faculty. Everything's super connected. And then from there, we're also a community and resources going on. So it's not like, have a nice day. You did this training course. Don't talk to me again. I give all anyone who trains with me my personal cell phone. Um, I I love it when they reach out to me as like a resource of even like what conferences do I go to? What other training should I go to? Yeah. Should I try this out or how? What do you think about this with a patient? And I love that. And you just feel like you're more you're part of something and not just a number in a room. Yeah. I mean. I did anatomy as a degree before medicine and I just had the privilege of, you know, being able to use the cadaver lab and stuff, but there's no replacement for it. You can do virtual reality, yeah. augmented reality, apps, phones, atlases, whatever. But at the end of the day, you need to touch the tissue, put the needle in and see what happened and, and actually have a look and feel of what is that ligament? What does it feel like? What does that pop yeah. when your cannula goes in and so on? So yeah, definitely oh. go and mm. do a course and we'll, we'll plug your courses at the bottom of the podcast description, Amy. Oh, well, so if anyone wants thank to you. join, you know where to go. Yeah. Now just to sort of finish up, we've, you've been very generous with your time. So thank you. It's been a fantastic chat, but before we let you go, we've mm -hmm. got a, a set number of questions that we like to ask all of our injector diary uh, guests and uh, okay. do you want to take it away with the first, and don't think about it too much. Just the first thing that comes to your head um well, i think keep... i know the answer to this one. Yeah. what's your favorite toxin and why more to the point i love Disport. shock horror uh, no plug in <laughs> what was that Shocker. shock horror oh, yeah <laughs> yeah i think i like i played with it once or twice um <laughs> i just i i really i love i love Disport. i like that for most people it tends to kick in a little bit sooner wear off a little bit um you know slower on most and um i just i i have great results with it yeah. Okay. Um, now we know that your favorite filler brand is Restylane, but let's be specific. Like if you had to have one product to treat everything, if you only had one product in your shelf, one, one product from their range, what would it be and why? For uh, HAs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. H for HAs specific? Mm -hmm. um, I would probably pick uh, Define, mm -hmm. uh, Restylane Define. Um, it's a nice hybrid between the expression and also gives it some nice support. So if there was one, I think that would probably do the job in most areas. Okay, cool. Now, what's your favorite cannula make and size and why? I like Dermascult and I like TSK. My favorite size, I only use 22s. Um, so I use 22 gauge cannulas and I typically, it depends on the area that I'm treating. So either one and a half two or two and three quarters yeah. if I'm doing body. Yeah, it's I have not, not heard it's not of about the size of the cannula, Jake. It's how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the technique. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, Dermascope. Tell me about them. I've not heard of that brand before. Yeah, Dermascope. So, so TSK Dermascope. I love the TSK um, invisible needles. Tom Van Eyck, a good friend and colleague of mine, got yep. me in for in injecting uh, neuromodulators. Have you played yes. with that before, Jake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, yeah. Oh, 
I love them. Um, so I packed up my suitcase in Monaco, actually, with like half my suitcase was all uh, invisible <laughs> needles. needles and the TSK syringe holders. Yes. I was so excited. It was like a, a Christmas morning for me. Um, so yeah, Dermoscope, they're very similar. Um, just two different, two different, two different brands. They're very similar, though. I like I like both. Okay, that's good to know because um, I don't think they're available here. But TSK, by far and away, as far as I'm concerned, are the best, but they are pricey. Yeah. So it's always yeah. worth knowing about other brands. Actually, funny yeah. enough, the TSK cannula holder that you just mentioned, it came up oh. in our Patreon chat today and no one had heard of them. So what is it and, and why do you use it? Oh, my gosh. So another friend of mine from South Africa, you probably know her, guys, uh, Nicole Canaris. Yes, from South good friend Africa. of mine, yeah. Um, yeah, so she's a good friend of mine. And we were literally at the stand and I was like clearing out all the boxes of invisible needles, TSK, that <laughs> Tom had put aside for me. And I finally made it to like the, uh, you know, the, the setup. And Nicole just happened to come up and she's like, you need to get these. And I'm like, what the heck are these? Are they really like, she's like, I'm telling you, you're going to love them. I'm like, well, fine, give me six. So I brought them back and I'm like, how, what's the point of these things? And my girls were like, why what what is what's the big deal about this i'm like just play with it a little bit let's play with it so explain I what can't it live is without these things so they're needle holders so basically instead of so basically you put you can first of all it's nice for organization so you can set up all your needles um all your syringes your cannula cannulas um everything lined up so it stands upright so you don't have a bunch of syringes like flopping around on yes. your tray so it organizes you nicely it also, when you're putting the needle like back in to cap, you just drop it in and then you release a button that comes out like that. Yes. So it's a little bit safer. You know, everyone moves quick sometimes when you're like going, doing a full face. And um, so it's nice to just one, keep it organized and also like for safety. So I love those little tools. Okay. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, the reason it came up, because we were talking about HIV patients and we're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, maybe some of the precautions that you would need and so on. And one of the things that I see injectors do all the time, I don't know why they do this, is they, they manually resheathe their needles yeah. and they're risking a needle stick every time they touch their, their uh, filler. So using that device, the TSK cannula holder, completely avoids mm -hmm. that. Plus it's more sterile totally. and it just looks cool. Yeah. So check it I out. Think guys. Awesome. I think we need to get some sort of... Uh, yeah, if TSK cup, cup. wants to give us uh, some sponsorship, yeah, then yeah, let on, us know. We need some Let's equity this. in this company. I, mean, I literally, every time I post about this, I think TSK is like stock in purchasing yeah. from those little needle things and invisible needles. Yeah. I'm like, I swear to God, I know TSK should be like sponsoring this, yeah. I feel like. Right? 100%. So, so uh, ooh, aspiration. What do you think? Are you an aspirator or a non-aspirator? I, I am an aspirator. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do aspirate um, in most areas. Lips, not typically. Okay. Um, but I, I do I do aspirate. I think there's nothing wrong with aspirating. Okay. Cool. That was uh, probably the, the most easy answer we've yeah, ever was, had yeah. someone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've already done the, the, yeah. the cool sort of tool thing. That was the TSK Canyon holder. Last question then, uh, and it can't be your course. What's the best book or course that has kind of improved or inspired your practice? Oh, geez. I have like a library. Well, you can give us one book and one course. So my, okay. One book and one course. Oh my gosh. There's so many. Okay. I'm trying to like be, um, <laughs> diplomatic. You know what I just, you know, what was just sent to me? Um, Tim Pierce, yeah. um, has his lip, um, his lip anatomy eight, specific. Yes. Eight D lips. Have you, have you seen? Yeah. 18, yes, totally. 
I got. I have to say, I that book is so like. First of all, the, it's visually like very, very. It's it's amazing, and I I really like that book a lot. Um, I also like my buddy Chris Surik's book, um, all about injection and anatomy related back to cadaver. I, I love that book. There's so many good resources out there, but those are two um two of my favorites that pop up. Awesome. And courses. What's been your favorite course? Best course. Courses. My goodness. Um geez, there's literally, there's, there's so many that pop into my mind. Um, beginning stages, like middle stages or like most recently, uh, maybe do an American one and a global one. Okay. So global, I, I really loved Monaco or or AMWC if we're talking about conferences, um, even though that wasn't necessarily training, I really loved that one a lot. Um, I love beauty through science. I like the intimacy of that as well. Mm -hmm. It's a little smaller. Um, I really do like those courses. I love the, you know, facilitators that, you know, pair Hayden and, and that crew, I like what they've developed with that. Um, and then for us, um, LAMCA is a great, um, part in LA that's upcoming in March. I'm part of faculty. That's an amazing um, conference and training as well. And there's a lot mm. of resources within that as well. Aesthetic Next, my friend Tiffany, all also that's, I'm going to go Dallas. Um, <laughs> they have a great um, conference and that's a larger conference, but it's really, it's a, an amazing opportunity to network and then also have like some of these smaller courses that you can opt in to be a part of. That was well, more than one course. We, yeah, let, we let you get away with that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sh- I can't just take shared one. Share the love. It's all good. <laughs> well, listen, that's been an awesome chat. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. It's Thank always you. nice to listen yeah. to new stories and new backgrounds. Um, have you ever been to Australia? Are you ever going to come and visit us? I will absolutely come. I thought we were talking about our business plan last night that I'll go there for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I can work with you in your clinic. Because you said three weeks is where the parties. I've never been to Australia, Australia, but I will absolutely love to come. Yeah, yeah. great. Well, if if you're thinking about conferences here, in uh, my opinion, A23. I'm not paid to say. It. Yeah, it's probably Aesthetics AU, and and this okay. year will be called Aesthetics 23. It's run by Stephen Liu. It's probably the the most well-rounded but mm. um, current conference. Yeah, let's put it that way. Yeah, yes, yeah amazing feedback from that conference 100% so anyway we will catch up but good luck with everything that you're up to congratulations on all of your endeavours and we'll speak soon nice to meet you thank you so much both of you it was great chatting with you and have a great rest of your day you too see you later bye for our latest news upcoming guests and episode topics follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 